0: 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gamble.
1: All right, welcome back to Burns and Gambo. John Gambadero, Dave Burns here with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, our top story of the day today—you just heard Eric mention it—the Sports Center update just a moment ago. Robert Server, the owner of the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA, suspended one year, fined ten million dollars by the NBA, as the result of what's been nearly a nine or ten-month now investigation into allegations of racial phrases that were used of. Uh, uh, misogynist behavior of, you know, inappropriate behavior towards women, inappropriate behavior towards men, uh, toxic workplace environment, etc., etc. Today, the punishment came down one year, $10 million. He's not allowed to have anything to do at all with the organization. And we're going to get into that in a moment. If you missed our first hour of the show, I want to quickly repeat something that Gambo had mentioned in case you didn't hear it. As far as the what happens now, there's lots of possible different avenues for what happens now, including nothing. I mean, nothing might happen now and he serves out the year and he comes back as the owner and and that's that. There is a possibility for lack of a better way of describing it, uh, of an uprising from the other minority owners of the Phoenix Suns to oust Robert Sarver if there is indeed an appetite to do something like that. I know there's
0: one owner that would uh, would be in favor of that. He was not supportive of Robert when the statement from the other owners came out in support of Robert. I think the majority of the minority owners do support Robert, Uh, but let's see what happens now. I'd imagine, and and the the, the the, the minority owner that I'm talking about is a man named John Najafi. His brother Francis is also a part owner, and I know that there's, you know, he has opposed Robert on a lot of different things, and, uh, you know, I think he would be one that could try to lead that if they wanted to. I'm just saying it's an option. It's very likely that there's a clause in the partnership agreement that would allow for the removal of a prince. Owner, if there is cause, you know you'd have to determine what is cause and that type of thing. But I would imagine it in the agreement. I know a, that in other ownership agreements, that is in there. That is the way you could remove a principal owner. Like okay, Jerry Colangelo was removed with cause as the owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was removed with cause, so they removed him. So there is definitely there are definitely avenues that can be taken if other owners want to remove a current owner for reason and again we're only bringing that up as one possible outcome and one possible direction. That
1: doesn't mean it's going to happen. No, it doesn't just, mean it will it could it's be an just, option. It just could be, it could be an option. There's, you know, the NBA seemingly has spoken on this matter and has determined it's going to be a year and it's going to be $10 million. It doesn't seem like there's the opportunity for the NBA or its ownership group to do more than it's done. But who knows? Maybe if there's enough sponsor pressure on the league, if there's enough player pressure on the league, maybe the NBA revisits one year and decides that it's not enough, and then you need to do more against Robert Sarver. But for now, this is what it is. And I think Gambo's right to kind of bring up the one possible scenario of this is that the minority owners of the Suns kind of get together and decide that they don't want to be in business with him anymore. And a lot of that might depend on sponsors or what the players have to say
0: or things have like to see that. See how it plays out. Like, like, like. Yeah. And I think you said it. Like, what's to come? We, we don't know yet. Like, we just this doesn't mean that it's concluded. I mean, it, it could be, but it might not be. So what? it's yet to be determined what the next steps are going to be because we have to see how these, you know, we have to see how everybody reacts from players to sponsors to the other minority owners. Yep, we have to see. Now, I'll tell you right now, reaction that I'm seeing
1: among the fans, among other media who cover the NBA, there is a a fairly pronounced sense of outrage that was just a year. There's a fairly pronounced sense of what? That's it? I mean, that kind of seems to be the general feeling today. That's it? That's all I think there seemed to be an expectation that there was going to be more, and disappointment that there wasn't more. One of the questions, and Gambo and I, were we both got into work early today, and we just kind of started, okay, we should talk about this, and we should talk about that. And one of the things that you kind of casually brought up in the first hour of the show, I think we need to circle back to and talk about for a few minutes. Technically, Robert Sarver's not supposed to have anything to do with the Phoenix Suns for the next
0: year. I mean nothing. He's not allowed to be involved at all. No, and he'll be in charge of, he'll, he'll be the one who will points to who's going to control the team it's he'll be in like he's going to work with the NBA on that but it's going to be his choosing (laughs) you know somebody's got to run the organization of course it's probably going to be somebody that he chooses yeah and and you're
1: suggesting that baxter holmes the reporter from espn who reported on all of this a year ago tweeted out about an hour ago that robert sarver will be working with the nba to appoint an interim governor for the Suns to serve during his one-year suspension and look this might be minor to some because there are bigger, far more socially important questions that kind of come out of what happened today, and I'm not trying to minimize that for a second, but one of the questions I kind of had when thinking about everything was, okay, let's say a Kevin Durant trade presents itself again sometime later this season. Yeah, Robert will make that decision. Uh, And that was my my number one No doubt about it. How does that get done, right? When you have an owner who's not allowed to have any part of his team or or even
0: something smaller as the mid-level taxpayer exemption. you're not gonna know about it but I would be shocked don't kid yourself he's gonna be making the decisions I mean don't kid yourself I mean I you know as as long as the nothing else happens right if nothing else happens nobody tries to force a vote or anything like that the other owners are okay and everything and you move on um, yeah I mean you'll uh, whoever's appointed by him will go to him in a Setting which nobody will ever know about. and find out, Hey, I mean, don't kid yourself. That's how that's how it works. Yeah,
1: I, I, and, and I assumed that's how it would work. But again, that's just kind of one of the first things I was thinking about. Like, okay, you and I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks talking about Boyan Bogdanovich. He makes nineteen and a half million dollars. You know, I, I wouldn't think you could go
0: do something like that. We had a situation not too long ago with the Cardinals GM where he was. You know, Michael Bidwell had suspended Steve yep. for a certain amount of time. Do you really think that the roster was built without Steve's input? No, no, no. Does anybody really believe that for, th- for Robert, no. was it and, three months? And, and how, and I, was it, how long was that
1: for? And, and I don't believe. I think it was three months. It was a while ago, but I yeah. think it was three months. And I don't believe that when a manager gets ejected from a baseball game, that he's allowing his bench coach to right. make a pitching right, change. Exactly. Yeah. He's sitting in the back office doing it, right? But but again, that I guess in a way that sort of speaks to the okay, what have you really accomplished here if you're the NBA? You find him $10 million, okay? I'm not personally familiar with Robert Sarver's finances. I'm assuming he can afford that. I'm assuming he can swing that, all right? He's suspended, but as we just concluded, he's really not. You know he's really not suspended as the principal decision maker of the Suns. He can't Suns. be
0: around the day-to-day operations. I, I, he can't be at the facility. He can't be at the practice facility. He can't be at an NBA game. He can't be you know involved in anything associated with the Suns. So he's board of governor to meetings, be, and but but, but and we, decision makings in the organization because it's good. Look, whoever's appointed is very likely going to be appointed. The NBA not appointing the person. The, the minority owners aren't appointing the person. Whoever appoints who's going to run the team, it's, it's going to be Robert that's making that appointment. So.
1: Okay. Okay, hey, he can't go sit courtside. He can't go sit in the suite and right, watch the game. Right, but if the they're going go to trade for Kevin Durant, you
0: think he's not going to know oh, no, about I, it? No, and,
1: I'm, I'm not, and, and that's, I agree with you. And yeah. that sort of, I think, reiterates the point that I'm trying to make, is that this does feel like nothing really was accomplished by this. You know, that, that really, at the end of the day, what has Robert Sarver lost because of this? Has he lost control of his franchise? Not yet. Not if it's going to work the
0: way we think it's Rep- going to work. Reputation. That that he's lost. The reputation of the enterprise that is the Phoenix Suns. The reputation has been damaged. Yep, There's been no, listen, Robert Sarver has made all of these minority owners a boatload of money, okay? This is not a financial thing. When Jerry lost control of the Diamondbacks, it was all financial. Like, they were in ruins. They were in financial ruins. They couldn't make payroll. So when Jerry lost control of the Diamondbacks, the reason he was ousted was just because it was just, financially, there was a lot of bad decisions made. They had no choice. But Robert hasn't done anything. Thing. There's no hardship, um, you know, as far as finances. It, it, it's No, he's done a great job of raising the value of what everybody's uh, percentage of the team is. What yeah. their stock in the team is is worth a lot more now. And I,
1: I don't dispute any of that. It's just for those who say the NBA didn't do enough, when you kind of think it through and talk it out, you realize they really didn't do that much to him. You know, they really didn't.
0: It, it's, it's. They probably felt like they didn't have enough to go as far as to Sterling, right? They probably didn't feel like that. They had some language that was inappropriate, and obviously comments demeaning to women. And you got to take that seriously. And they course. did take it seriously. They suspended them for an entire year. They, you know, it's a what? public embarrassment for him. I mean, the embarrassment is the biggest punishment. The, the embarrassment okay, away from the, the, the team. I will agree. The, the, embarrassment the, the, the embarrassment is the embarrassment biggest punishment. Of everything
1: that was revealed yeah. today is the biggest punishment. Right. But
0: in terms of what he's actually had taken away from him, throughout did they this? say Robert Sarvers is of everything that we we found no wrongdoing? No. Find it. It's no. not like they didn't find any wrongdoing, so no. Robert's got to live with you know that fact. That it's the stuff that came out there about language that he used, inappropriate language, the way he talked to women. That's, that's going to be a stain on him for the rest of his life. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, something
1: else we haven't talked about with this whole Robert Sarver situation with the Phoenix Suns, and that's the players, and that's the locker room, and that's the coach, and that's the general manager. What sort of pressure is on them now to do something, say something, and will they? That's coming up. 98.7 FM arizona sports station
0: 98 7 fm arizona sports station burns and gambo
1: Burns and Gambo on this Tuesday afternoon. Got real busy this morning. Right around what time to come down? Nine thirty, nine forty-five. News that Robert Sarver had been suspended by the NBA for one year, fine ten million dollars. Which is something I want to add. And I was just I was speaking with somebody down the hall a second ago. As we were talking about whether you believe, or not you, Gambo, just in general, if you're out there listening. Whether you believe this punishment is harsh enough or not, the ten million dollars is the maximum the NBA is allowed to fine them. There's a, that's 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 the most. Monetary punishment they can put on Robert Sarver, so you know understand that too. If you're if you're like me and you were kind of man, ten million dollars that that's nothing for Robert Sarver. That's the most they can they can punish him. Here's another thing we haven't talked about yet, and it might actually end up being the most important part of the entire equation potentially. Yeah, player reaction, the locker room, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Monty Williams, um, James Jones. You know, Chris Paul in particular, with his yeah. role as a player leader and in Black Lives Matter, and and what is the reaction in that room to the news that has come down? And then, if you want to hit zoom out, yeah. what's going to be the reaction around the league to this, and how much player pressure is there going to be on the league to do more than has been done? I I, mm-hmm. I think that really is kind of the big question. So I all just asked this.
0: the player that I said, well the Players be, you know, cool with Sorry. He said it'll be mixed. Some of the key vet all-stars might not want to play for him, but 90% don't care. That's what a player said to okay. me. 90% won't care. Some key vets, you know, all-stars might not want to play for him. But we'll have to see how that plays out. At this point, we have not seen anybody speak out about it. Um, we did see a. A tweet from Jay Crowder just said, wow. Wow, just wow. Five exclamation points and an emoji. Um, Yeah, now listen, I think that, you know, a lot of the players will. They'll 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 read this whole report. They'll talk to people. They'll kind of figure out should we come together? Is there anything we can do? But they're also going to you know they, they're also going to talk about the way they've been treated and their families have been treated by Robert and the organization. And in many ways, the organization does a lot of great things. Now, um, you know, as far as taking care of players, being active in the community and charities and things like that, there's a lot of good that gets done from the Phoenix Suns organization. Yes. A very charitable group. Robert has been at the forefront of hiring with gay and lesbian minorities and uh, things. You know blacks and he's been at the forefront of hiring practices in the league like his record is is right up there at the top with those things now these things that have been done to employees of the phoenix suns are something that needs to be taken serious now if you're a player you'll you obviously you'll speak to them, what do you think of it what do you think of it what do you and that's what will happen the players will come together and they'll talk to each other and see what they think of it um I, I, if if one speaks out, maybe others will. If, yeah.
1: nobody, if nobody does... And it depends on who the one is, right? Sure. It, 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 I think it... I mean, I hate to... And this is... And I was reading during the commercial break, I was reading Gerald Bourget from PHNX Sports, and I was reading his take on this, and, and one line that kind of stood out is that it's it's now almost unfair kind of the pressure that's on the players to say something, do something, and it's, it's unfair to expect that of them or demand that of them, and now now suddenly, you know, all attention is kind of turned to their social media challenge uh, channels, and what are they going to say, and how are they going to react, and and how do they respond? And, it, and it's and that does almost put them in a very sort of unfair position to be judge and jury on this one. But to your point, the point that you've been making since the start of the show, one potential avenue in all of this is for the other minority owners of the Suns to kind of band together and say, "We want to change. We want to buy them out. We want to." There might be a clause in the contract that allows them to do such a thing. Will there be player pressure on those minority owner owners to force that kind of change within the organization? Will there be a push like that? I mean one guy who used to play for the Suns, not now obviously, Jamal Crawford, yeah. Tweeted out Sterling 2.0 in reference to Donald Sterling. And then he tweeted out again, seen this movie before. And of course, Jamal Crawford was on those Clipper teams when all of that went down with Donald Sterling. Now, again, not a current player, but I do think which player like and talking about Chris Paul, and I'm talking about Devin Booker. I mean, not to put it all on those Booker's guys. Got
0: an incredible relationship with Sauber, so like I think as the leader of the team. I I think Booker has a very good relationship with Robert Sarver. Like, a really good relationship. Like, you know, as, as good as any owner and star player have in this league. Yeah. Good. So I don't, you know... I don't know that Booker would come out against him. Um, you know, I mean, it, there's the other angle. There's the Larry Fitzgerald angle, yes. which we could get into, too. You know, one of the big icons here is a part owner. And Robert's kind of been a mentor. Robert. Yeah, Robert's absolutely. been a mentor to him to help him fight, you know, in the business world and financially. And they go to games together and everything. And um, so I, I you do want to see how this is is going to play out. Now, I, I do know, like I said, I've been bringing up that one owner, uh, John Najafi, who has you know, opposed Robert on many, many, many things and did not sign the statement uh, uh, agree, uh, the statement from the other owners supporting Robert when this came out, like many of the other. There were three owners that did not sign that statement. The two brothers, and then there was one owner who's uh, I think he's in Texas. He's not around a whole lot. Um, um, he didn't feel comfortable signing the partner letter is what I was told, and so he didn't sign. So there were three partial owners that did not sign that statement of support in the beginning.
1: Yeah, and, and then of course the other two guys we haven't brought up yet. Either either, are James and Monty. Now, James has well, they've both been very supportive of, of Robert. James, I think, a little more than Monty. Monty hasn't said as much, but of course, Monty just got the contract extension this offseason. Seems very happy with the organization. Obviously, when Monty got hired in the first place, we made a big deal of his kind of willingness to come work for Robert and kind of the, the give and take that had to happen in that process for him to agree to be the head coach of the Suns, given Robert's reputation at the time. James has obviously Obviously, re-upped as a general manager, you would think if either one of those gentlemen had concerns about the ownership and Robert in particular, yeah. maybe they would have had second thoughts about that. But again, their reaction to this and what sort of tone they set, is it one of support of Robert? Are they behind the scenes? say what That, to me, is the biggest untold story about this and one of the things I'm really going to be watching for over the
0: next couple of weeks to see how the leadership yeah. of the locker room reacts. Well, here's the things that you'll judge it by, right? The investigation found Sarver used the N-word at least five times when recounting the statements of others. Okay? So he was saying that somebody else used the in, in, in recounting a statement that somebody else said. So that's one thing. There are also instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, including sex-related comments and inappropriate comments on employees' appearances. Sarver treated employees in a demeaning way, including yelling and cursing at them. Look, out of all those things I just mentioned, some are obviously more serious than the others, okay? And so everybody's got to take it upon themselves. So let's get, he, you just got to ask yourself a simple question. I mean, whether you're a player or whether you're an employee or whether you're uh, another owner, you've got to ask if – it do you think that he lacks integrity? Do you think that he lacks ethics? Do you think he likes, lacks values? Do you think that he's well, not – well, you have to ask yourself those things. And ask if you you know if you believe that to be true. If you think that Robert Sarver lacks integrity, ethics, values, then you may not want to be associated with the organization. If you don't feel that way, and you're like, okay, listen, the guy clearly said some things he shouldn't have said. He made some mistakes, uh, but everybody does, you know. And, and you know, you know, you know, everybody's got skeletons in the closet. He made mistakes. They're going to give him an opportunity to fix those mistakes, and then you could probably feel comfortable moving on with Robert. Yeah, it, 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 you know what?
1: You is, that's what it is, and I'll be honest with you. You know, on the other side of this, not on the other side of this equation, but as an extension of this equation, we're talking about a WNBA franchise that he owns as well, with one of the most iconic players in the history of the league who's on that organization as well. Is there a statement to be made there? I mean, we talk about Chris Paul and the power that he has, Diana Taurasi and the power that she has to say. I'll be again curious to see
0: what the reaction in those circles are publicly and or privately. I don't know of any. Any players that were ever... I mean, I mean. again, this is wrong, but this was employees. This isn't players that were. Tra- like, no, like, I, I think the relationship with Tarasi and the relationship with Booker and these people are outstanding. Oh, I get that. I'm not
1: saying players were mistreated. I'm just saying, will they feel compelled to speak, to speak out, out against Robert because of what the this story, what this report, what this investigation has to say? You know, we're talking about some very high profile sure. players in both of these leagues. Some of the most high profile in their. Their respective leagues right now. Whether they do something with that or not, I don't know. I really don't know. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, still looking for answers as to why the Cardinals struggled so badly on Sunday? Yes. Well, you know what? <laughs> Nick Vigil is here to answer your questions. Next on the Burns and Gambo show.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo.
1: If I'm not mistaken, his name is Jason Fitzgerald. He works at OverTheCap.com. Good website. Good reference for yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason at Over... Yeah, yeah Jason yeah. underscore OTC on Twitter. Really good follow on Twitter for mostly financial information, but just football information. Um, this is... Okay, I, I love that he did this. I'm glad somebody did this. And if I had had the time, I might have done the same thing. Teams that didn't play their starting quarterback in the preseason in Week One. Uh, You want
0: to guess? No record. No. How many games? How many games? As
1: a matter of fact, I do not. I don't want to guess, host
0: boy. Uh, How how many games? Eleven games. Four and
1: seven. You're close. Three and eight. Okay. Three and eight. The winners were the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, the Chargers and Justin Herbert, the Vikings. and... And uh, Kirk Cousins The losers were Rodgers and the Packers Murray and the Cardinals Carr and the Raiders Dak and the Cowboys The Rams and Stafford The Broncos well, with Russell Wilson somebody had to
0: win When two play each other though Huh? They did it, Well, well it Some just, of those games Packers and Vikings Raiders and Chargers They played each there other was, There was going to be a somebody winner Somebody had no to win what Right In fact the or three tie. winners Let's see the
1: Ravens they didn't play. The Chargers did play the Raiders. The Vikings did play the Packers. So you're right. I mean, in that, in some of those games, it was a guy who didn't play in the preseason versus a guy who didn't play in the preseason. The teams who played at least 30 snaps with their starting quarterback in the preseason, at least 30, went 8, 4, and 2 in the opener. Wow! Seahawks, Steelers, Bears, Giants, Commanders, Chiefs, and Browns and Dolphins all won. The Jags, Patriots, Panthers, and Forty Nine ers were the losers. And I bring that up because Nick Vigil, the inside linebacker for the Cardinals today, uh, and again, defensive player, not a quarterback, but it's kind of an apples to apples kind of conversation. Acknowledged today that you know early on versus Kansas City. That was the first reps we had together as a unit
0: at all. I mean, I, I can't really say exactly what changed, but, uh, I mean, it was just early on. That was, you know, that was the first reps we've got as a group, you know, together. Um, and I I think it showed, uh, you know, early on in the game. Um, and so yeah, we just got to be better in communication. Um, just make that a point of emphasis going forward. I mean, there it is in a nutshell. Play it again. <laughs> play it again. I mean, I mean, I I can't really say exactly what changed, but uh, I mean, it was just early on that was, you know, that was the first reps we've got as a group, you know, together, um, and I, I think it showed, uh, you know, early on in the game, um, and so yeah, we just got to be better in communication. Um, just make that a point of emphasis going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's the communication going forward, and first time we've read reps together. Just goes it goes back to two things. One. They were so bad at, at the collapses at the end of the seasons were so bad that they wanted to do something about it, and I truly believe that the, what they determined was, we need to take it easier in the preseason. I agree. So that way we're fresher at the end of the season, because we keep wearing out at the end of the season, so let's not go very hard. Look, Cliff could have easily said, let's have two practices against the Titans, but he said, no, let's just have one against the Titans. You didn't play your starters in the preseason, so Camp Cupcake, whatever you want to call it, like, that was done for a reason, like, that was done because... They felt this might be a good way to to you know to not beat our guys up and have them fresher for the end of the season, but then you weren't ready for the beginning of the season. So I don't you know, but that's what I think. I mean, I think that that's why they took it pretty lightly in the preseason. I,
1: I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that's exactly what happened. I think it was sort of an evaluation of how last year ended, and okay, well we can't do that again. So how are we, what are we going to do to fix it? Well, let's go really easy on our guy and our guys in August, and let's and let's do. Like that. Look, there's, there's, I, I can't speak for the whole league, okay? But I can look around a little bit and acknowledge that there are some teams that I think really don't care that much about week one or week two in the NFL. And maybe they should. Maybe statistically, an argument can be made that they should. I look at a team like the Green Bay Packers last year. They scored three points in their opener last year, and Aaron Rodgers was terrible. It didn't matter. They ended up with 12
0: 13 wins. Sure.
1: The Titans got blown out by the Cardinals in week one. It didn't matter. They still were the number one seed in the AFC. this
0: year too. Team
1: Nation lost too. Think about that team Bill Belichick's teams for years they would get off to kind of so so slow starts. Remember that two and two Tom Brady team where it's like okay
0: that's it Tom Brady's
1: done (laughs) it's over and they ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. Maybe
0: the Cardinals played him in the opener and it was supposed to because there had no Brady and it was supposed to kill him? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: What happened? But you know know what I think there are some coaches who look at week one as almost an extension of the preseason. Like, all right, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to... Well, the Raiders, we're going to talk about this a little later on the show. The Raiders used, what, six or seven seven different different offensive offensive line combinations?
0: Seven different offensive lines. that screams preseason. It was four different combinations. That's like Josh
1: McDaniels going, okay, let's try this and uh, let's try that. Uh, Okay, let's try this. I think there are some coaches who are almost willing to sacrifice week one of the regular season in the name of not getting their guys hurt in August and using that game as sort of an experiment to see what works and what doesn't. Are the Cardinals good enough to do that? Probably not. Are they, Is Cliff Kingsbury an established enough coach to make that kind of determine? Probably not. But I know there are coaches in this league who use week one and week two as just sort of a, alright, let's just screw around and try this. Let's screw it. Not screw around, but you know what I mean. Let's let's experiment experiment and then when the season gets real we'll be really ready to play it maybe that's
0: what the cardinals were trying to do i don't know yeah listen maybe they just played the best team in the nfl and they got their asses handed to them and everything will be fine when they play the raiders next week and maybe there's that too i mean look at me like that's
1: <laughs> the simplest is there explanation tends to be the truest and maybe that's the simplest explanation is there at least a
0: 15 percent possibility that they just played the best team in the league and got their asses handed to them and when they play other teams that aren't as good they'll be fine yep it's possible is a
1: possible. It's possible. The simplest explanation tends to be the truest, and they might have just played the best team in the NFL that was on top of their game. Now, going to them real quick, probably the last words we'll say about well, I'm probably not, but going back and looking at Sunday's game, we won't have much more to say about it. Andy Reid today. He blamed the turf at State Farm. I saw Stadium that. I saw that. for the injuries to his kicker and to his rookie cornerback. It, it was a little bit loose. I mean listen, it, it was part of the butker injury and, and McDuffie injury. Unfortunately, that was part of it.
0: Just the, the turf picked up and I, I would tell you that it did have something to do with it. If it didn't, I'd tell you that too. So it's not an excuse by any means, but I mean you all can see it when you watch watch the tape.
1: The butker injury I saw it. Yeah, He plants his Planted left his foot, foot and, and it, it just, went, just went right out from underneath him. Yeah. The Trent McDuffie injury, I didn't see, but I'm assuming Andy Reid saw it on tape and that's why he felt compelled to say something about it. The Butker injury was very obvious. The turf just, and I guess they re it. I think right before the season started because you know they held camp on it, yeah. every single day, and and so they want to resod it and, and make sure it's ready to go for the season, and, and it must just not have taken as much root as they needed to. But yeah, there's and then, but
0: then look at the situation in Chicago. and they played that game; those those the field was a mess. Yeah, field was. was a soggy mess. Not going to get it perfect every time. You'd like to, you'd like to have the best field conditions possible, but it's not going to happen every time. Um, so sometimes the field is going to play a part in guys getting injured. It's But that's reality. Yeah. Coming up on the Burns and Gambo
1: show, we've got the Seahawks on top of the NFC West. Significant injuries across the board. Craziness in week one of the NFL. What are the top stories from week one of the NFL? Gambo and I go through it with a fine tooth comb next on the Burns and Gambo show.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo.
1: Uh, It took a while, but week one of the National Football League is in the books for the 2022 season. It started on Thursday night with the Bills absolutely mauling the defending champ L.A. Rams on Thursday night football. And it ended last night with Russell Wilson's less-than-stellar homecoming as a member of the Denver Broncos to Seattle, where he was booed vociferously all night long, where they were terrible in the second half of that game. And then, of course, that you know brain-fart, mind-numbing decision at the end by Nathaniel Hackett. Donner's decision
0: of the year. Which it has is, to be. Which he's
1: already said. if I could do that again, I would do that differently and we'd go for it on fourth down, which of course was the right thing to do. Maybe not the right thing to say 24 hours later, but it was the right thing to do in the moment. If you look now, okay, so we have the ability to look back and look at week one. What to you is the biggest story or the Hmm. biggest stories of week one. What
0: stands out to you is, okay, that this, matters. There's this quite a few, but I think we start with the revenge tour. It went 0-3. Flacco against the Ravens didn't work. Wilson against Denver didn't work. And Baker Mayfield against the Panthers did not work. Cade York kicked a 58-yard field goal with eight seconds left. Kareem Hunt scored a couple of touchdowns and Cleveland spoiled Baker Mayfield's bid for a revenge. Uh, and they lost that game. So no Deshaun Watson. Jacoby Brissett is the guy. Uh, the Browns were all over Mayfield most of that game. They sacked him four times. They tipped five passes at the line of scrimmage. So, as badly as he wanted to beat his former team, he wasn't able to do it. That a, stood out to me. That's a good one. I, I got two that stood out to me. Okay, give me, you know, give me one of
1: yours. Okay, um, I've got Dak Prescott's injury. I was uncertain about the Cowboys to begin with. I think that injury dooms them. I think they're doomed. And this idea that he's going to be back in four weeks, I think that's PRBS nonsense. I don't think he's going to be back in four weeks. I think that's Jerry Jones' way of trying to keep hope alive knowing full well that it's irresponsible to put his guy out there. And I think, no, Dak Prescott, I think they're done. I think that's one. And I think number two is Trey Lance's struggles with the 49ers in Chicago. I think that's a big Story because yeah. everybody around the league is like, No, 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 you don't get it, man. Two through 53, that's the best team in the NFL. That roster is great. Yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> if the quarterback is not up to par, it's not, it doesn't matter. And Trey Lance, man, a couple more performances like that, and there's not going to be a team that can get Jimmy G at the trade deadline. They're going to keep him and they're going to play him at a desperation. I think so, you're right. I think those two stories really kind of popped as the biggest stories of of the NFL, honestly,
0: in week one. Got others you want to yeah, throw out I, there? I, I, Randy Moss and the Vikings. <laughs> I mean, it's, I couldn't believe Randy Moss back with the Vikings. Randy Moss. Okay, this kid is unbelievable. <laughs> this great. Justin Jefferson, man, 184 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and a record-setting first half. you got a new coach there in Kevin O'Connell. We talked about this. No more Zimmer. 23-7 to against the Packers. Man, that's the team's largest margin of victory over the Packers with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. Kirk Cousins was smart. He targeted Jefferson on more than a third of his throws. When you've got somebody that good, you go after them time and time again. So I thought that was a statement win by the Vikings week one against the Packers. Yeah, since we're talking about the Vikings nationally, this isn't that big of a story. But
1: there are a couple of local connections on the Vikings that I think we have to bring up. Okay. Number one, that touchdown pass that Christian Watson dropped from Aaron Rodgers. Hootie
0: Burn, Hootie Burn, Patrick
1: Peterson. I mean, like paper and fire, man. He just poof up in smoke when Patrick Peterson on that play. And then part two. Did you see Jordan Hicks's numbers as the starting inside linebacker? I did not
0: see them, but you told me he had seventy-eight tackles and twelve sacks. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. No, what do you have? Like fourteen tackles, fourteen tackles, one sack, one forced fumble. Wow, Jordan Hicks.
1: You know, and you know what? I'm going to borrow a gamble phrase, something you've said a lot in our 11-12 years together, that sometimes you root for players and not teams. I'm very much rooting for Jordan Hicks. I uh, thought the oh, way yeah. he handled, and I don't know Jordan well. It's not like we're friends or anything. But the way he handled that situation from the minute they drafted Zayvon. I thought respect was, for him? Uh, totally. I mean, just nothing but the highest level of respect for yeah. how he conducted himself, how he handled himself. I root for him. I root for him to go to Minnesota and kick a bunch of ass. And it was nice to see him get a start on that. Let's get a couple one.
0: more in. Let's get sure. a couple more in. Trevor Lawrence threw a, a terrible interception with about a minute left, so there was no chance for the Jaguars to win after that pick. It was just a terrible pick. But what stood out to me in the Jaguars game against the Commanders wasn't the four touchdown passes from Carson Wentz. It was Christian Kirk, the former Cardinal. Six catches for 117 yards. He had a 49-yard catch too. His first game with the Jaguars, he kind of justified that big contract he got. Yeah, no, that is a good... He looked good. He was targeted a lot. His
1: catch Percentage wasn't great, but he delivered some big numbers. And Trevor Lawrence might quickly find that he's one of his favorite topics. All right, since we're doing this, okay,
0: because I got another one too. But go ahead, okay. I'll, I will. You, you want to give yours real quick? I'll give mine. I got one. Okay. I'm right. going to go to the Eagles. Okay. Now the Lions—they put up a hell of a fight. I mean, I, I like that coach, that Lions coach. They were, the, the, you know, the Eagles are probably going to win the NFC East, especially we DAC out now. Um, but uh, AJ Brown, another guy, 155 yards receiving. Jalen Hurts at 333 yards. The Eagles barely won the game. I give credit to the Lions for playing tough. Um, but yeah, big game for A.J. Brown. They targeted him a whole bunch of times too, and he really stood out in that game for the Eagles. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, see
1: that and I'll raise you mm-hmm. Khalil Mack and the L.A. Chargers. Ooh. That debut, I think that team is loaded. I think they're really, really good. I think defensively, the investments they made in that team this offseason demand attention. And even though they failed by not making the playoffs last year, and there is a tremendous amount of pressure for them to make it this year, I think that debut was one of the most impressive of the NFL. He and Joey Bosa... Brought hell upon Derek Carr in that game. I mean, it was six sacks. It was a gazillion pressures, three interceptions. They made yeah. life miserable on him in that game. And if let's he,
0: stick with that game, okay? How about that performance by Chandler Jones, man? <laughs> man, he was. Yeah, the, did, it, did they call his name once? The sarcasm is dripping that from his voice. No, they did so much. Yeah. Like many of the Cardinal games, invisible Chandler Jones did absolutely nothing. I went on one of the web sites and they were just ripping Chandler Jones all the fans were like we said but how much on this guy let me stay with that game Justin Herbert on t- listen listen to this number this is remarkable Justin Herbert on 10 plus yard throws versus the Raiders okay now going down the field 10 plus yards 6 out of 8 157 yards two touchdowns and a 156.3 passer rating he's good wow he's good he's really Really good.
1: And I'm telling you, in the AFC where the Bills and the Chiefs like really established themselves I don't think the Chargers are that far behind. You think they're I, lurking? I really don't. You think I, they're lurking? I don't think the Chargers are that far behind those two teams in the AFC. One other, just real quick, the, the guts, if you will, the cojones, Ooh, if you on. will, Markley. of two different coaches, not just Brian Dable with the New York Giants, but also give it up for the new coach of the Miami Dolphins who had a fourth down at the end of the first half and he went for it and they scored a touchdown. And his players afterwards were like, man, yeah. that was gutsy. Yeah. We loved it. Two fan bases that are kind of waiting for that sign that everything's going to be OK. Really got energized over the weekend with those wins by the Giants and the Dolphins with the guts shown by their coach and the willingness to go for it in those moments. But none more so than Brian Dable and going forward, the two point conversion at the end of that game. That was yeah. a big deal. And his players love. L-
0: l- let's mention the debut for Tyree Kill eight receptions for 94 yards. Big game for him. Miami's what? What is it? Two, uh, two has never lost to the Dolphins. And is that the first time that Belichick's lost four times in that a row to a
1: team? the first time that Belichick's lost four in a row to the same team. Yes, wow. it is. Yeah.
0: Wow. When we come back. That was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was fun, right? A little bounce wow.
1: around the league. We might, we might do that more often. Right? Just kind of things that we saw from the week to week in, in China, the NFL. I very
0: much enjoyed that. Robert Sarver, been
1: suspended for a year. What else has come down in the punishment. We'll let you know next on the Burns and Gambo Show.